please remain standing as we read God's Word. I'm going to read from John chapter 6, verse 60 to verse 71. This is what the Bible says. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon, who, who though was one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Amen. Feel free to be seated. Amen. And let's put our hands together to Pastor Junior. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oops. Thank you, Pastor Yanni. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be here this evening. Amen? Amen. It's good to see each one of you, and I'm happy that we can be here. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. Did you notice what the topic is tonight? You see, Jesus reset my commitment. Fan or follower? Do you know this is fan night in Toronto? You know, I don't know how many of you are into sports, but I'm glad that you came out and didn't stay to watch the Maple Leafs play the Canadians tonight. <laughs> you know, but I decided, God decided, I didn't put us together. We're going to talk about what it means to be a fan, you know, and, and, in, and in that context, I had two jokes about the Maple Leafs, but I, I know I'm in Maple Leafs territory and I do support them. I back my own, I'm that kind of person. Try to be faithful, you know, and people have different views of the Leafs. And I believe this will be the year, it will be changed. Those of the past views was, would say the Leafs was like, you know, there was this child that was brought before the judge. There was a custody battle over this child. And the father wanted the child, the mother wanted the child. And the judge listened to both arguments. And then he realized, well, wait a minute. This child is old enough. This child can probably give some good wisdom. You know, could probably say what he wants. So the judge said, you know, son, you tell me. What do you prefer? You have your mother there. You have your father there. Who would you like to live with? And the boy looked at his mother. He looked at his father. And he said, your honor, could I go and live with the maple leaves? And the judge, kind of puzzled, said, what do you mean? He said, well, you see, Your Honor, 
I know that if I go out and live with the Maple Leafs, I don't have to worry about anybody beating me up because they don't beat up anybody. They don't beat anybody. You know, so that was the old Leafs. So you want to hear the new Leafs? All right. The new Leafs with John Tavares tonight is going to win. They're going to go forward, you know? And so, you know, to give you that kind of twist, it was said this was an old one that really went around when um, Sundin used to play for the Leafs. But this one, I'll paraphrase, you know? You know, Toronto was battling again, and they were saying, you know, we have to build this team up. We want to win the cup. It's about time we have a parade in Toronto. So you know what? We're going to send out some scouts and find some talented players. So one scout went around the world and he came across a young man who was 6'5", very talented, big and tall, and he was amazing, and he was from Iraq. And uh, you know, the scouts came and gave the report. And they said, wow, that's amazing. So they decided, you know, the coach decided to go over, take a look at the young man, saw him playing and was so impressed, he signed him immediately and brought him back to Toronto. So while there, they were playing Montreal, and they were down 5-2. And the coach decided, you know, I better do something. So he takes out Matthews, one of his star players, and he calls the rookie. And he said, get in there with five minutes to go. Well, the rookie goes in and he becomes an instant sensation because he scores four goals in five minutes. Toronto goes wild. The center is wild. Oh, yes, everybody loved them. They were so happy as they left, you know, the stadium. So the young player calls his mom, and he says, hey, mom, won't, you wouldn't believe it. Wow, you, you need to hear the kind of night I had. It was so amazing. I tell you, they put me in, they took out a star player, and they put me in, and I scored five goals, and we won the game, and all of Toronto loves me. She said, oh, so that was the kind of day you had. You want to hear my day? She said, well, let me tell you what happened. Your young brother went to run off with a, a group of hooligans. Your sister was harassed by those block on, boys on the block. And when your, mother, when your father tried to intervene, he kind of got knocked up himself. So I had a terrible day. Don't tell me how good your day is. And, and he said, but mother, mother, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm sorry, sorry. She said, it's your fault. Because it's because of you you brought us to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> So you had to think of that one. <laughs> you know. Well, I'm a good fan, and I love the Leafs. And I pray they win this year. I hope some of you will do the same. You know? <laughs> but tonight, we want to talk about Jesus reset my commitment. For those of you who haven't been here all week, we started with Jesus reset my faith. In order for God to reset our faith, we have to be willing to go all in with God. Then we talked about Jesus, you know, reset my plans. A faith-fueled life is what is necessary to go all in with God, to be willing to surrender our life, our ways, to say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and your way. We know that's not easy. Surrendering is one of the hardest things for us as human beings. And then on Monday evening, we asked God to take out the garbage. Jesus reset my purity. Reset my purity. 
And we know indeed that God calls us unto holiness. God does not feel happy when you and I settle for a lower standard. When you and I fail to honor who God is. So we need God indeed to reset our purity. Last night we talked about the fact that we are asking God to reset our relationship. That we can have such a relationship with God that we will have a, a, a passion for his glory. That we will be able to be mindful when the question is asked, what distinguishes me as a believer? What does it mean to be distinctively Christian? And that's a major question. And that's why tonight I want to build on that question. Because it goes hand in hand with Jesus reset my commitment. You see, my friends, we all realize that when we come into church, as I said before, not everyone who says they are Christian is a Christian. And the word is used so loosely today that we have to wonder, okay, what does it really mean? What does it mean? You know, God's work in the world today is to make holy people out of unholy people. Amen? You agree with that? Jesus didn't came, come for those of us who are all healthy, well, and everything else. He said he came for those who are sick, those who need a physician. He came for those, my friends, who didn't understand what it means to have life, to give us life. See, God's work is to make holy people out of unholy people. God is holy in nature and in all his ways, and he wants to make us holy. We should constantly and earnestly pray that God will make us holy. Not that we are to do, you know, that we are to do holy, and I want you to understand this, but rather that we are to be holy. You understand that statement? You see, the, many of us know how to do holy. And we can do it when we need to. But that does not please God. God is pleased when we become holy. And being must precede doing. Being must precede doing. In London, our motto, more or less our mission statement, is that we exist, you know, to raise up a generation of spiritual disciples of Christ who will propagate a holiness lifestyle. How do we do that? We need to know Christ and make him known. We need to be Christ-like, spirit-filled disciples in order to serve our world and church. You see, we understand how important it is that we must be before we do. There are people who can do and they are not. You know what? There's a lot of non-Christians who could tell you how to live a Christian life. Have you ever come across a, a person who's intoxicated or drunk and you come and say, you know, alcohol is not good for you? You know? I have met guys like that, you know. They know how we should live. So if there's anything we understand then, that first we be, then do. First obtain a holy heart, then live a holy life. But we in the church, especially in the church of the Nazarene, a holiness church, must ask ourselves some serious questions. And if you're following me this week, I tell it like it is. 
I always say a good sermon must comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. All right? And when I come to hear God's word, I cannot leave without being challenged in some aspect. Because if I feel that I didn't hear anything, I better be careful. And I think there are questions that we have to ask in our churches and in our lives as believers. Not just as Nazarenes, but as believers. But primarily Nazarenes. And some of the question is, is this work of holiness advancing in the church? We believe in the holiness message. We were born in the fire. And as one leader said, if we are born in the fire, we do not settle in the smoke. But sadly, a lot of our churches are filled with smoke. And we don't see the fire burning. And it's a, it's a legitimate question to ask, is the work of holiness advancing in the church? Are men and women being made holy? Are our preachers really holy men and women? Are they really seeking to be holy ministers? Are our leading lay people examples of holiness? Why do we now have so few outpourings of the Holy Spirit? Why is it that so few of our revivals spring from the life of the pastor? Why is it that in order to have so-called revivals, we must have outside influence, such as the reputation and sensation of some, some renowned evangelist or musical group? And when you ask those questions, you know what that means? Remember I talked about the question of who is the performer and who is the audience? Sadly, today, the church can become a performance-based organization. So it's all about performance. But we need to understand God wants us to have character and content before we perform. John Wesley noticed the same decline in the work of holiness and addressed the causes of such a decline in a letter he wrote to his brother Charles, and it read something like this. This decline in holiness is largely due to a decline in prayer. The work of God fails more from lack of grace than from want of gifts. A lack of grace flows from a lack of prayer. Great grace comes from great prayer, and a full supply of grace brings an increase of gifts. God works most effectively through holy men and women. The world judges Christianity not by what the Bible says, but by how Christians live. Just recently in the prison, I started showing a series in, our un in the unit that I am responsible for, a couple of units. It's called Starting Point by Andy Stanley. And I was impressed with it, and I decided it would be a good series, and I spoke to the lead chaplain there, the prison, and I said, you know, I think this is good material. We had done Alpha through the prison, and we decided that this was good. And Andy Stanley begins that series by saying, we do not believe in God because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so doesn't make it a reality. He said when we were growing up as kids, we all believed that. 
We all agreed when our grandmothers took us to church, our parents, as the case may be, you know, we heard the preachers and we heard everyone say, this is the word of the Lord. And we respond, thanks be to God. Nothing is wrong with that. That's amen. But the point he was making is, in this generation, you cannot convince somebody to give their hearts to Christ and say, because the Bible says so. Because it doesn't work anymore. And that's true. I believe in the eternal word of God. I believe there's life and power in the word of God. I believe there's life and truth in the word of God. But I realize today that many people want to know and experience God in a holy and living way more than just hearing us quote scripture. Because let me tell you something, everybody can quote scripture. The devil quotes scripture. So don't fool yourself. And we need to realize there's a difference in my friends. You see, Christians are the Bible that sinners will read. Christians are the Bible that sinners will read. Emphasis must be placed on holy living. Unfortunately, in today's church, the emphasis is placed on other things. Yes, we need Christian education, we need good evangelism, we need missions, we need good preaching, we need programs, we need tithing. All of these are important and necessary in the church. But if we are not living holy lives, everything else we do is in vain. And that's the truth. If we in the church live no differently than those in the world, as I said last night, then we make it appear that our God is powerless to change lives. We make Christ's crucifixion of no value. We have nothing to offer the world. And that's why when I came to the Lord, I kind of searched around a little bit, and when I landed in the church of the Nazarene, it attracted me. One of the reasons was I always believed Nazarenes have been gifted with a, that ability to love one another, friendliness. I've heard people talk about how they've visited Nazarene churches and they've been so friendly in compared to others. But one of the major reasons is what I heard. Holiness unto the Lord is our watchword and song. And we are called unto holiness. Called from the world and its idols to flee. Called from the bondage of sin to be free. That's what the songwriter says. That's what Charles Wesley said in response to his brother's point. And if we are to be about our Father's business, we must be holy as he is holy, says the Lord. And I could preach on holiness, and I could preach on what holiness is and what is not. But that's not my purpose really tonight. But I needed to set this foundation. You see, 20 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ issued a compelling and challenging invitation. And that compelling and challenging invitation was in two words, follow me, follow me. Jesus is not interested in mere fans. He doesn't want enthusiastic admirers. He wants completely committed followers, my friends. Amen. And this raises the question, are we a fan or a follower? Because I don't know like you, there are some of us like fans, when they're winning, we are there. And when they're losing, I want nothing to do with them. I'm wasting my time. You know, the other day I caught myself, and I like to preach to myself and challenge myself. I'll, I'll confess this. So I love baseball too. 
Because growing up in Trinidad, I was a cricketer. I love cricket. And those of you who know that, you know, my family went through, played for Trinidad. I was on trial to go to England as a, a young teenager playing cricket. I love the game. So when I came here, I got involved a little bit while I was at Emmanuel Church with, you know, overseas club and the clubs here. But of course, I had to stop playing cricket because it was on Sundays. And I, you know, had to live what I believe. And so, you know, and I, I did learn the hard way. See, some of us, you know, we, we don't always listen, you know. We have to go through the school of hard knocks. When I got saved, my pastor said, you need to put first the kingdom of God. That's been my verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But I was still in my sports. I was still playing cricket. And I was, I never forgot that. <laughs> I would try to come to church, like some of us who like to sit in the back seats. You know why? So we could run out quickly and get out quickly. But I decided to stay in the back so I could sneak out. You know, I would go to church, get there some school. I know my game was starting at 11 o'clock. And I decided I could at least show my face in church. And that way, I'm in church. And then I would sneak out and go and play my cricket. And I never forgot, you know, I was thinking one time, and the pastor somehow was down there <laughs> and saw me. I said, Junior, where are you going? And I kind of paused thinking, what can I tell him? <laughs> And as if he knew what was going, he said, don't lie. <laughs> and then I said, Reverend Blash, I have to go and play in my game. I am batting overnight. And I cannot, if I don't show up, they lose, you know, we lose a wicket. So you have to understand. He said, well, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember what I told you, you have to seek for the kingdom of God. I say, okay. I go, second ball, I got bowled. <laughs> I say, is that a fluke? <laughs> the next time I made an excuse, I go, I got hit in my face. <laughs> I said, God, what are you trying to teach me a lesson? <laughs> All right, <laughs> you know. And I gave it up, but I gave it up. So because I love cricket, I love baseball. But you know what I caught myself doing? Whenever I like to watch Blue Jays in 30. So those of you who know what that means, at the end of the night, they will flash the whole game in 30 minutes. So that's all of it. Leafs in 30, Blue Jays in 30. That's how I do it. But I funk myself every time I check the score first. And if they lost, I wasn't watching it. <laughs> if they won, I will watch it. Rose could say, you don't think it's time to turn off the TV? And I'll just say, you go to sleep now. He said, okay. <laughs> I'll turn on the volume, you know. Because <laughs> I need to watch it, you know. But it dawned on me, am I really a fan or a follower? What kind of fan am I? I'm a fan here when things are good. And in the same way as Christians, we don't realize it, but we do the same. There are times when you are a follower, a disciple of Christ, and you know the church of the Nazarene exists to produce spiritual disciples. We want to make disciples in the nation. That's the truth about it. That's our goal. That's our mission. But the reality is there are times when we are not really followers or disciples. And I'm using that word interchangeably. Where we become fans. Eric Nelson collapses. Family and friends desperately try to revive him. At a football stadium across town, Pastor Kyle Eidelman received news of Eric's heart attack. Kyle rushes to the hospital, arriving as Eric's friends and family are given the devastating news. 
Eric has lost all brain function. The family makes a painful decision to let Eric go. The next day, Kyle arrives at the Nelson's home to pay his respects and offer pastoral care. As Kyle speaks with friends and family, amazing details of Eric's life begins to emerge. Eric had suffered a mild heart attack five years earlier. The near-death experience caused him to completely surrender his life to Jesus. He went from fan to follower, and it had a profound impact on those around him. Anna, Eric's wife, is forced to evaluate what really matters in life. Darren, Eric's longtime business associate, suddenly indicates that their friendship was strained when Eric took a new job. Eric's father, Bill, disliked the new job and the people with whom Eric worked and claims his objections were based on Christian principles. Gary, Eric's friend since high school, alludes to Eric's dark past and a subsequent transformation. And when I read this story, it brought to the point that following Jesus becomes a challenge when we are laden with negative feelings and difficult circumstances. So we grow discontent with who we are or what we can do or where we are headed. But the reality is that you have to learn, just as you entitled this revival week, come just as you are, is so important. That's why that became the appeal song of Billy Graham. Just as I am without one plea, as thy blood, you know, draws me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. You see, we need to understand, follow, we need to follow Jesus right where we are. Amen. Following Jesus can be hard sometimes when our circumstances don't look the way we envisioned. Sometimes our dreams get stifled. Our hopes become limited as a result of circumstances that are outside of our control. Sometimes we lose momentum and we focus on our shortcomings or we create over-exaggerated and a long list of things that we cannot accomplish. There may be days when we feel discouraged and unable to hear God speak. Just because he's silent, my friend, doesn't mean he isn't present. And we need to remember that. Amen. We are never alone. Every emotion we, feel, emotion we feel and every circumstances that we face can always be measured by the truth of Jesus' promise that he made in Matthew 28, 20. Be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We may feel a certain way based on our situation, but we worship and serve a God that stands apart from our ever-changing moods. And that's why I ask people, do you, see, do you see God in light of your circumstances? Or do you see your circumstances in light of God? See, that's two different things. There are a lot of people who allow circumstances de to determine their faith. They allow circumstances to determine their commitment. They allow circumstances to determine whether they go to church or not, or whether they will serve God more, or whether they will be faithful in tithing, or whether they will be joining into a prayer group or a growth group or a small group. There are people like that. But if we are to be faith-fueled Christians, we don't let circumstances determine our faith. We begin to understand that God 
who is alive and well, who is with us 24-7, says, don't allow feelings to dictate faith. And I want you to know these things. I'm giving you four quick tips. First of all, feelings don't dictate faith. It's hard to be optimistic about what's ahead when we are laden with negative feelings and difficult circumstances. That's true. I'm a realist. As a result, we grow discontent with who we are, what we can do, and where we are headed. We have a tendency to start limiting our prayer time, and following Jesus becomes even more difficult. Moses tried to make excuses. Remember that? When God called Moses, what did he say? Lord, I can't speak. Hey, Lord, I'm twist tongue. I tried that. I literally, as a young boy, was in Trinidad, you say, tie tongue. There are still some words I struggle to say. And I was one of the excuses I said to God, besides wanting to be a pilot, I said to God, I can't preach. You know, I learned my great lesson from my, one of my roommates. He pastors a large church in, in Boston, too, as well. You know, Victor Price, a good brother and friend. We were planning a revival in the community in Santa Cruz, Trinidad, where the Bible College is also situated. I came from the college church. So in my first year in college, they had these revival services in the community. And Victor comes to me and says, Junior, you plan to preach tomorrow night. And I said, what? He said, no, no, you need to preach. I said, no, 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 bro. You are a senior. You and another one, thank God, two of my good roommates are both in ministry, one pastor's Solid Rock Church of the Nazarene in New York, and then Victor is second church in Massachusetts, you know, and I said, no, 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 you two guys are great preachers. You preach. And he said, no, you would be a great witness and a testimony. People have seen the change in your life in this village. So it would be awesome if you preach. And I said, no way. I'm not ready. No, thank you. And I tried to make excuses. We all may know how to make excuses. The next morning at chapel, Victor walks up to me and he says, hey, Junior, you are right. You're not ready to preach. Just like that. He said, because you know why? And I asked him, why you say that? He says, because you're still thinking about all of you. I never forgot that. That's why when I get behind a pulpit, I ask God that I decrease and let the Lord increase. I have never forgot that, my friends. Over 40 years ago, that was said to me. And I recognize what Victor told me. You see, when self is there, God cannot work. When you base your faith on feelings, you would never live victorious as a Christian. And we all try to make excuses. Lord, I can't speak. But God called Moses to become a follower and not just a fan. To serve by faith and not feelings. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that our relationship with God is based on faith, not our feelings. For it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not feelings. And this is not your own doing, for it is the gift of God. Following Jesus should be a response to our faith. And not based on wavering emotions or how much we feel connected. God doesn't change no matter how much our feelings do. 
And if you believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, then you need to realize your level of commitment should be rising as you get closer to God. Feelings don't dictate faith. Secondly, comparing ourselves isn't an accurate measure. Comparing ourselves isn't an accurate measure. Whether you be a Christian, whether you be a pastor, evangelist, or whoever, we need to think about that. The world today has created a culture where we compare ourselves to everyone else. We want to be like the Joneses. You know, we need to have a new nice house. Oh, look at that new car he or she is driving. I better go and check out, you know, to make sure I have one too, you know. We don't see our current circumstances as having any value compared to the perceived reality of those around us. So we measure our success as something we will achieve once our lifestyle looks more like others. As a result, what happens? We exhaust ourselves. We waste energy in an attempt to achieve a way of life that was not designed for us. <laughs> we don't realize it. I remember reading a story about a man named Dennis Wise. Dennis Wise was a great Elvis Presley fan. He loved Elvis Presley. Dennis wife decided to get a face contour and a hairstyle to look like Elvis. He went to every concert Elvis had, even when Elvis had the fruit boots. Those of you who know about Elvis Presley, he had fruit boots, they were called. Dennis Wise went out and bought fruit boots. He was an Elvis fan. You say Presley, Dennis wanted to be there in every way. At one time, they even caught him jumping over the mansion in, Grace, in Graceland. He wanted to get there, and he said he actually did jump over, and he actually got there. He went to the concert, and he saw, he thought he saw Elvis walking out front, and he tried to wave at him so he could get his attention. He said he did all of that. He even went to Japan. He had a Japan ticket stubs where he took a mortgage to get those tickets and to go. But the day came one day when Dennis Wise realized even though he was a Presley fan, he never really knew him. Elvis Presley did not know him. And you see, sometimes we may not realize this. We may say, yes, we are believers, we are Christians. But the question is, what's our level of commitment? How much are we really sold on Jesus? How much are we really sold on seeking to advance the kingdom of God? My friends, it's not just pastors who build churches. It is sheep who attract sheep. That's what we have always heard. And the reality is that if you, as believers, are not excited about Jesus, how do you expect others to be attracted to you? See, that's the reality. If you, as young people, are not presenting Jesus to this generation, what do you think is going to happen? And we have a battle on our hands. As I'm driving here this evening, a little boy is killed again here. Shot again. A little teenager. The world is not getting better. So what's the key? What's the only thing we can do? You and I are called to make a difference. I 
And that's why I appreciated when reading Carl Alderman's book. He was the one who write, wrote, not a fan becoming completely committed follower of Jesus. And he was the one who suggested that we compare our relationship with Jesus to the relationship of others and appear to have an, in an effort to measure how well we think we are following Jesus. You see, I have learned my friends, Junior, you want to know my, my real given name is? I wonder if anybody knows that here. I, I love to tell people now, long ago I used to hide it. My real name is Colombo. <laughs> That's right. I notice when I send my, you know, any wedding license back and I get word, the government calls me Colombo Susano. <laughs> Colombo. You see, as you know, in the Catholic tradition, you get the name of the patron saint when you're born. And when they dedicate you, well, I got St. Columbus Day. June 9th is St. Columbus Day. And he was a missionary to the Irish on the island of Iona. I found out all of that. But it really, and as a kid, I used to have to hide my name. Because they used to call me Christopher Columbus. They used to call me all kind of names. So I was glad that I began to tell everybody my name is Junior. And I got that name because in that case, I was the second boy. So they called me Junior and I was born in June. That's the only reason. It's not my father's name. That's how I got it. And I remember when I was sitting coming entrance back in those days, that's an 11 plus British exam. We had to sit to go into high school. I signed Junior Sozano. So my mother had to take me and get an affidavit to confirm I was the same young student. So I graciously said, okay, put Colombo as my middle name. <laughs> so that's where you see the Junior C, Sozano, for those of you who don't know. And then when I saw they had a TV show about Colombo, oh boy. <laughs> I felt good. <laughs> I even went out and got a green trench coat when I came to Canada. <laughs> I literally did. <laughs> I felt good. But I began to realize God created me as who I am. So I have to be myself. I have to be who God made me to be. And you need to realize this. I cannot compare myself to other preachers, to other pastors. That's not what it is. And many times in the church, the church struggles because we are looking at one another instead of looking to Jesus. We find ourselves being caught up in, let him do it. Oh no, she's the one you should ask, not me, pastor. But what has God called you to do? We all understand, because we see the parables, we see the lessons of Jesus, that God gifts everyone in the church. He has given talents. Some have more than others. That's the truth. Whether it's 10, 5, 1, or 5, 3, 1, however you equate it. He gives everyone. And what he teaches us is, you need to use that for his glory to the fullest. But there are some of us who are allowing the devil to snuff out our talent. There are some of us who allow Satan to steal our joy, to steal our blessing. And we need to wake up and realize the time has come 
that we must seek to go forward. Instead, you know, some people hurry to meet uh, their next goal at the expense of overlooking the things that are in front of them right there now. I remind myself that God is in control. Whenever I stand before this pulpit or any pulpit, I have to remind myself, hey, it's not about me. And I say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Here am I, Lord. Be glorified in my life. Amen. My one desire, Lord, is to be a man after thy own heart. I love that of David. And like David, none of us are perfect. But yet God said that of him. Because when you look at David's life, David had a passion for God. David knew how to see God. I always tell people, Saul committed the sins of divinity. David committed the sins of humanity. That's why Saul became a kabod. That's why the glory departed. David always reverenced and honored God. As the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs after you. For where can I go? My friends, don't allow the devil to keep you in that mold. Don't allow him to squeeze you in that mold. It was Brian Gumble who, when, who interviewed. Some of you remember this, Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lott, after 9-11. And Gumble asked, why didn't God stop this horrible thing that happened in our country on September 11? Or do something about this? And Graham Lott replied, for years we have told God we didn't want him in our schools. We didn't want him in our government. And we didn't want him in our finances. And God was being a perfect gentleman in doing just what we asked him to do. And then she went on to say, we need to make up our minds. Do we want God or do we not want him? We cannot just ask him when the disaster strikes. And I am saying, my friends, tonight, we need to allow Christ to reset our level of commitment. Our commitment has become fluid in the church. Amen. It's an up and down roller coaster ride. Right. Now, Pastor Nick, you don't need to say amen. I need to hear them say amen too. <laughs> because that's important. We need to realize that. We need to understand this. But some of us, we are hindered by dreams as well. We are good at looking ahead towards our dreams and living in an attempt to travel in that direction. There's certainly nothing wrong with looking towards, forward towards our dreams unless they hinder us from seeing what surrounds us right now. You see, dreams must serve as a windows to new ideas and possibilities that, rather than creating walls that we get stuck behind. I'm always seeking to challenge myself and everyone who serve in our church to move from good to great. When I came across that book, I said, that's a great challenge. And I say this to our church board at every new start. We need to be thinking of moving from good to great because, hey, don't we believe God is great? Amen. Don't we believe, hey, God is good? All the time, he is good. And I believe he's good in the midst of disaster. 
I believe he's good in the midst of pain and suffering. Because that's what we have to hold on to. Are we seeking to be the best we can be for God, brothers and sisters? Are we truly allowing Christ to be Lord all the time? Lord of our time, our talents, our treasures, as they say. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else to be added. And finally, we need to love now and serve now. A lot of people put off making decisions for Christ. I always watch this when I'm preaching revivals and evangelistic campaigns. There's that fight or flight mentality. There are some people when conviction begins to take them, they run away. Afraid to deal with it. Some people say, you know, give me another chance, another time. Maybe pastor, not now, but I'll let you know when. My friends, following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean following a path towards a dream job or an ideal living situation. And sometimes it doesn't look glamorous or even desirable. But following Jesus is about finding opportunities to live, to love, and to serve those around us right there now. And it's a willingness to embrace whatever is in front of us with love and obedience. We need to be reminded of the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Allah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And because of that, Jeremiah became a follower and not a fan. You see, we need to step up to higher ground. We need to come to that place where we understand that. Sometimes we don't realize it. Paul said in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. Not for your pleasure or my pleasure. And some Christians don't like to hear that. There are people today who have microwave mentality when it comes to spirituality. They pop up and they pop down. I see a lot of times, even as believers, when God may be calling us to stand and serve and to follow. No, 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 we don't want that. We want convenience. We want things that is easy. But being a disciple of Christ is costly. It is. But let me tell you, it has great rewards. Praise God for that. And I tell you, God rewards us here as he rewards us up there. You know why I say I'm blessed to bless? Everything I could say, thank you, Lord. God gives you the desires of his heart. I literally live that, not just in the church. Not just, you know, in that, in every way. When I need something, I say, God, your boy needs this. Sometimes I will be driving up and I will say, God, I need a parking spot up close. I'm bold to ask God that sometimes. 
and he provides. You see, I believe that's the kind of faith I live. Now, you have your faith. But my faith is such that, you know what? God wants to bless all of us. The difference is some of us come in God's face and say, bring it on. Pour it on. You know, when I got saved, I heard that song, take my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. I can't sing. Rose does the singing. You know, don't worry. I love to sing. <laughs> Kathy, I wish I had just one piece of your voice. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I love that hymn. Come and quench the thirsting in my soul. Oh, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Take my cup, Lord. Fill it up and make me whole. But let me tell you something. I got saved. I brought my cup. And God filled it up. And I said, praise the Lord. And it dawned on me, wait, that cup is small. I went and got a bucket. Okay, Lord. <laughs> Lord, here's my bucket. Fill it up, Lord. Amen. And the Lord is faithful. He filled it up. Amen. So I went from a bucket to a barrel. And then I moved from barrel to a tank. And today, I am rejoicing in the ocean of God's blessings. You see, you have as much of God as you choose to have. It's up to you to realize that. So therefore, I close with this. Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Well, let's illustrate this in the words of a true African pastor. This is no joke, a true story. An African pastor was overwhelmed by rebels who demanded that he renounce his faith. He refused. The night before they took his life, he wrote the following Lines on a scrap of paper. Hear what he said. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back. Let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. And my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence. I lean by faith. I love by patience. Lift by prayer and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, or lured away, or turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of me mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up, let up, burn up, till I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, 
and stayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all I know, and work till he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problems recognizing me. Amen. My colors will declare hallelujah. Jesus asked the disciples, will you also go away? When Jesus made the demands of discipleship according to John 6, this passage here, many disciples deserted Jesus. Some of us may say, no, I don't desert Jesus. You see me pastor once a month. I'm still connected, you know. Some of us say, no, pastor, I will never go away. But you know, pastor, right now, uh, I can't do what you're asking me to do. You know, Jesus, you know my situation. You know what I need to do. But my friends tonight, I ask you, are you a fan or are you a follower? Let us stand. What is your level of commitment? I know, Adam, I didn't put this on song on you, but I'll say the words. There's a hymn that says, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. You have your song, it's okay. All right? I'm pressing upward, right? Pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm seeking to gain every day. As the Lord bids me, I press on to higher ground. Are you willing to raise your level of commitment tonight? That's the question. Do you now understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you realize it's not about you or I, but truly about Jesus in us? Amen. Amen. Have you ever heard the saying, always preach Christ, and if necessary, then use words? You know what that means? You are the only Bible that some people will read and the only Jesus that some people will see. Are you willing to say, here my Lord, send me. Here my Lord, use me. That's the question. And so as the band plays and sings for us, are you willing to come and join us here at this altar and say, yes, Lord, this is my response to your word tonight. I want to be a true follower a spiritual follower of Jesus Christ. I am willing, Lord, to stop playing church. I'm stop going to compromise who I am as a Christian. And I would stand up and be counted for Jesus. So as we sing, I invite you. You don't have to wait for us to sing. Let's come down and commit and ask God to help us to go up to higher ground. Thank you, Jesus.